Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. at the Lord's Prayer in detail, which is found as a part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Today, we're talking about this line in the prayer where Jesus says, tells us to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Um, so Jesus here not only says that we need to come to Him, come to the Father, and ask forgiveness for our sins, but he also wants us to see the connection between God's forgiveness of our sins and our forgiveness of others. Um, In fact, it's so important that immediately when he finishes telling us the Lord's Prayer, he comes right back uh, to this connection in the verses that follow, and we'll read those this morning. And this can be really hard to understand, this connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. And, you know, Jesus often used parables, uh, stories, um, to help explain the hard-to-understand things about His kingdom. And so, uh, we're going to use the story that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 18 this morning to help us understand this connection we've been talking about. So... um, You want to look at your bulletin probably on page 7 because I think on the screen behind me, Matthew 18 passage, that I'm, the Matthew 18 passage is not going to be on there, so I got to read it. So, got a lot of errors in the bulletin this morning, obviously. The songs don't match. The passage, uh, you got to read it in the bulletin. But hey, you look around you, there's some empty seats. Some people didn't survive Thanksgiving, but you're here. You're here. You made it. So, we all made it. Um, All right, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 18. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Jesus said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And then the story Jesus told in Matthew chapter 18. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused. 
and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help. Our gracious Lord and King, We thank you that you have spoken and that we have your word. Um, We pray this morning that you would lead us to see Jesus clearly, to see ourselves clearly, our need of Jesus, and to find our rest in him even as we look to your word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So what Jesus says about this connection between God's forgiveness of our sins and our forgiveness of others who have wronged us. Um, It's obviously very serious. Um, And because of that, even as we were reading, some of you probably uh, found yourselves, you know, trying to qualify what Jesus said in the parable and in the Lord's Prayer. Maybe trying to dismiss it, get a little distance from it, um, explain it away. You know, he didn't really mean it like that. But let's assume, let's assume that when Jesus spoke, he meant what he said. I think that's a pretty good place for us to start. And he's saying that there is a vital connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others. And Jesus was saying, it is only forgiving forgiving people who are forgiven. And that means to forgive or not forgive is really a life or death matter. And we're faced with it virtually every day of our lives. Because we're talking about whether or not you forgive the spouse who doesn't meet your needs, your child who's rebelled against you, the sibling who broke your AirPods last week, the coworker who stabbed you in the back, right? The church member who betrayed your confidence, the teacher who unfairly embarrassed you in your math class. That happened to me once. Um, the parent who criticized and crushed your confidence, the pastors who failed you, the mom at your kid's school who gossiped about you, the person who hurt your kid, the friend you were trying to help but lied to you, little aggravations, big serious sins, and everything in between. And Jesus says, 
It's only forgiving people who are forgiven. So let's ask, I want us to ask three questions today. Here they are. Why, what, and how? All right, why is forgiveness so hard? And then what is forgiveness? And then finally, how do we forgive or how can we forgive? So why, why it's so hard, what it is, and how we can do it. First, why it's so hard. Theologian uh, Frederick Buechner uh, wrote, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll your tongue, roll over, the, over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor the last to the last toothsome morsel, both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. You know, when you've been hurt, when we've been sinned against, it's easy, it's even pleasurable to hold on to the anger and the bitterness. What's really, really hard and even painful is forgiveness. There are three words I want to use to help us think this morning about why forgiveness is so hard. Debt, distance, and imprisonment. Okay, first, it's hard to forgive because when someone sins against you, it creates a debt. Debt is the word that Jesus used in the Lord's Prayer. And it's the word that sh same word shows up in Matthew chapter 18 several times, right, in Jesus' story. Jesus used this story that we read because He wants you to see the debt created when someone sins against you, or wrongs you, or hurts you, is every bit as real as a financial debt. It's real debt. You may not see it on a piece of paper, but it is not imaginary. It creates a real debt. So in the story, Jesus told the king wanted to settle his accounts, right? It was time to balance the ledger, balance the books. He was calling in his debts what he was owed. And in this instance, in this story, Jesus tells us of one of the king's servants who owed him 10,000 talents. You know, it's thought that Jesus used this figure because a talent was the largest unit of currency in this culture. And 10,000 was the highest Greek numeral available. Right? It, it, Jesus is basically saying it doesn't get any bigger than this. It's an absurd, ridiculous amount that this servant owed the king. And depending on whether the talent was gold or silver, Right, each talent was worth somewhere between five and 10,000 talents. And it would take an average worker in this culture whose wage was a denarius a day, 200,000 plus years to pay this debt back. It, it, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. It's huge. And the king was calling in his debts, what he was owed. And that makes sense because a financial debt demands payment, Right? But when someone sins against you, Jesus is saying, it also creates a debt. 
And that debt also demands payment. That's why when someone hurts you or sins against you, you feel like you're owed something. At the very least, an explanation, right? But what you feel is a need for the wrongs to be righted, for payment to be made. The books have to be balanced. It's why parents constantly hear their kids demanding fairness, right? When their brother or sister wrongs them, and you hear, it's not fair, echoing throughout the house. We hear hear it all the time. There's a ledger that has to be balanced, right? The debt is real. We feel it. See, when you roll over your tongue, the prospect of telling someone off who hurt you, you know what you're doing? You're... You're fantasizing, calling in the debt, getting what's owed you, letting her take some of the pain she dealt to you and pay it down. When you savor the pain that you're giving back, you know, he did me dirty in that business deal. Let's see how much he likes it when the tables are turned. The debt created cries out and demands payment. When you lick your wounds in bitterness, you know, maybe you're just secretly hoping for the day she gets what she deserves and that you can be there to see it. Or when you trade insult for insult or gossip for gossip or when you give someone the cold shoulder, it's all testifying to the fact that there has been a real debt created When someone sins against you and it demands payment for the books to be balanced. And that's why forgiveness is so hard. There's a real debt that has to be paid. But that's not all. When we're sinned against, our instinct is to create distance between ourselves and the person who's offended us. Right? We say things like, I would never do that. I'm nothing like him. I'm nothing like her. In a book I was reading this past week that actually had nothing to do with the sermon or passage, I stumbled upon this quote. The author Eugene Lowry wrote this. Upon my own personal introspection, I notice how much more merciful I am toward my behavior than I am toward that of others. The reason is not that I intend to be unjust, simply that I'm much more in touch with the interior complexities of my life than others. What he described there is put on steroids when someone wrongs us. It's why when someone lies to us or is rude to us, we rush to label that person. She's a liar. That's what she is. He's such a jerk. Or another word. But when you lie, but when you lie, but when you lie, you know, it's complicated. I mean, you don't have all the facts. You don't understand the pressure I was under. When you're a jerk, well, you know, it's complicated. Right? I was in a hurry. I'm trying to learn how to stand up for myself. When we've created distance between ourselves and our offenders, 
Forgiveness becomes hard, even impossible. Miroslav Volf, Croatian author, wrote, Forgiveness flounders. Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, and I exclude myself from the community of sinners. That's distance. They're not even human. He's just a jerk. She's just a liar. I could never do that. Meanwhile, all my wrongs and all my sins are so easily explained away and rationalized. That's what we do instinctively. That's what makes forgiveness so hard. Frederick Buechner, the guy I, I spoke of earlier um, about it, when he was writing about the pleasure of anger, licking our wounds, smacking our lips over grievances, savoring the last toothsome morsel of the pain we're giving. He, he, he said, in many ways, in many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. But I didn't finish his quote. He went on to write this. The chief drawback of that feast is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. When you hold on to your anger, you know, chewing and savoring the bitterness, you're devouring yourself. You hope to make that person pay. And the truth is, you've imprisoned yourself. Right, you, You're shackled in chains. You're held captive by your own bitterness. You're not free. You're controlled by that person or by what that person did. Last week, um, I was at a Pelicans basketball game, and during the timeouts, they play these games with people you know, in the stands and put it up on the video screen during timeouts, and this one game that they, they were playing was like a rapid word association game. And so this person had five seconds on the clock, and it was a young woman who was probably in her late 20s, and she had to come up with three things as fast as she could in these five seconds. Um, and so round one was name three things that are red. And she named them. Round two was um, name three things that are orange. And then round three, five seconds on the clock. Name three things that are scary, go. And immediately, she said, men. <laughs> and, and it got a laugh, kind of like it got a little chuckle here. But you know, it kind of made me sad. Because I don't know what happened to her. But something not good. And now all men were scary. And I don't know her story. And maybe she's working on forgiveness. Because it can take a long time to work through forgiveness. Especially when the wounds run really, really deep. But at some level, she was obviously still controlled by the debt and the debtor. By the wounds. She wasn't free. And if you're controlled by the debts or the debtor, you are not free. You are certainly not free to forgive. That's why forgiveness is so hard. Debt, distance, and imprisonment. Second, let's talk about what forgiveness is. So the king in Jesus' story is called.
hauling in these debts, settling his accounts. But when this servant who owed this absurd amount of money begged the king for patience or mercy, the king forgave his debt. And in verse 27, Jesus slowed the story down to give us the key elements of the king's forgiveness. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, hopefully, the time we spent in the first point is going to help us understand these elements of forgiveness. Because here's what verse 27 is saying. The king closed the distance, he canceled the debt, and he set his servant free. First up, forgiveness is closing the distance. See, that word pity in our translation, when you first read it, it just kind of conjures up like the king feels sorry for his servant, something like that. But that word means so much more than that. Very often when you're reading through your Bible in the New Testament, that very word is translated moved with compassion. See, it's moving towards someone in order to identify with them. It's empathy. Author Brene Brown calls empathy the vulnerable choice because, she writes, in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. It's identifying with the person who wrongs you. Being able to say, I get it. I'm no better than you. We're the same. I'm capable of all the same things. And that's vulnerable, humbling. The choice to identify with the person who hurt you, who failed you, who betrayed you. Right? Sometimes it's admitting I've done those same things myself. Other times, it's having to look deep in your heart and realize that in your heart are the seeds of every sin known to man. And given the right circumstances and the right opportunity, you're no different. See, to forgive, you have to close the distance and identify with the one who wronged you. Forgiveness also cancels the debt. Right? That's the second element, and really the core of forgiveness. The New International Version um, translates verse 27 like this. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. The real debt created by another's sin against you always, always, always demands payment. Right? When the king canceled the servant's huge debt, someone had to pay, right? The debt's real. It won't just disappear into thin air. To cancel his servant's debt meant that the king himself had to pay down the debt, that he had to absorb the loss. The ledger won't be balanced unless payment is made. And forgiveness is choosing to absorb the debt of another sin against you to make the payment yourself, and to refuse to make that person pay. It's when the opportunity comes to you to tell off that mom in your kid's class who was unkind to you. 
and you don't. Right? Instead, you absorb the pain and you pay down the debt yourself and you refuse to make her pay. Is when you want to treat the guy the same way he treated you in that business deal and you don't. It, 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 forgiveness is when you want to give the cold shoulder to someone or run down that person's reputation who failed you and you refuse to do it. Forgiveness is when you want to lick your wounds and nurse your bitterness and you stop yourself and you don't. Forgiveness cancels the debt by paying it down yourself and refusing to make the one who wronged you pay it down. And if you're thinking right now, but that'll hurt. Yeah. Yeah, the debt has to be paid by someone and it's costly. But that's what forgiveness is. The final element of forgiveness that shows up in verse 27 is that the king sets his servant free. He released him. He let him go freely. Another day we'll take the time to truly thread this needle. But you at least need to hear, hear this. That forgiveness is not forgive and forget. The Bible never promotes avoidance or denial. Right? Forgiveness also doesn't mean you immediately begin trusting the person who wronged you. There are consequences to sin at times. Forgiveness also doesn't enable sinful behavior in another to, you know, simple patterns and behaviors to continue. Forgiveness is also not simple, right? It can take a long time and a lot of work to forgive, especially if those wounds are deep. And yet, and yet, at the same time, at the same time, forgiveness does let go. It doesn't hold on to the debt or the debtor. Obviously, there's a lot to parse out to thread that needle appropriately, but you'll know you've released someone and let someone go free when you're open to reconciliation with that person if the opportunity makes itself available. And when you're no longer held captive and controlled by that debt or the debtor. Corey Ten Boom, some of you know that name. Uh, she and her sister used their home in Holland during World War II um, to hide Jews who were escaping, uh, seeking to escape uh, the Nazis. And eventually they were caught and arrested, and they were, um, and they were put, sent to the Ravensbrück concentration camp where Betsy died. After the war, Corey was speaking on forgiveness at a church, explaining that, quote, when we confess our sins, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. After the talk was over, people were leaving, but one man approached her, balding, heavy set, in a gray overcoat, clutching a brown felt hat. He didn't recognize her but she immediately recognized him because he was one of her guards at the concentration camp at Ravensbrook. She wrote, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, 
the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. This man put out his hand to shake hers, telling her how good it was to hear that our sins are at the bottom of the sea. But Corey Tim Boone was frozen. He went on, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips, Fraulein. Will you forgive me? And he put out his hand again. She wrote, and I stood there. I who sins had again and again to be forgiven, and I could not forgive. She wrestled for what seemed to her to be hours, but were just seconds. And she wrote, And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling." And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, she writes, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. It's a powerful story of forgiveness. Can I point out a few things? Did you hear her close the distance? Right? She saw that she had sins that had to be forgiven again and again, and again. When she finally spoke to this man, what did she call him? Brother. Right? She canceled the debt. I mean, it took a strenuous act of the will, she says. But she refused to make him pay. And she absorbed the debt at cost to herself and put out her hand. And she let him go. Right? She was She was free. And able to welcome reconciliation. No longer controlled by the debt or debtor. And they grasped each other's hands for a long moment. And in letting him go freely, she was set free from imprisoning bitterness and anger. Let me read you one more thing she wrote and then we'll go on to the last point. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. And here's what she observed. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars were. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. 
It was as simple and as horrible as that. Because forgiveness, it is a life or death matter. Last, how to forgive. So how do you do all that? Because that's hard, that's going to hurt, it takes a lot of work, a strenuous act of the will when feelings are yet to come. And I want to try to answer that question of how can we forgive by exploring this connection between God's forgiveness of us and our forgiveness of others at the end of the story. And at the end of the story, Jesus was saying, it's only forgiving people who are forgiven. How are we supposed to understand that? In the story Jesus told, the servant who had been forgiven this absurd, impossible to pay back debt, he left the king and he immediately went out and he found a fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. I mean, not, not a tiny sum necessarily, not an insignificant sum. I mean, it's three months wages, right? Um, but infinitesimally small compared to his debt. You notice in verse 28 that he seized him and he began to choke him even before his fellow servant right, could ask for mercy and patience. Instead of closing the distance, I'm like you. Instead of canceling the debt, instead of letting him go, he had his fellow servants thrown into the very prison he had just been spared from. So let's pick it up in verse 20, 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What was Jesus saying? Tim Keller put it like this. The king was saying, the fact that you did not open up your heart in mercy to your fellow servant proved that you had never really opened your heart to my mercy. Not forgiving is a sign that in your heart you've never really opened up your heart to God's forgiveness of you. See, Jesus wasn't saying forgiveness is conditioned upon your forgiveness. As if that, that's how you earn God's forgiveness. He's saying it's only forgiving people who are forgiven because only those who've opened their hearts to God's lavish grace and forgiveness are the ones who go out and forgive others with their comparably infinitesimally small debts. So you know what Jesus was doing in the Lord's Prayer with this line, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. He was inserting this little litmus test right into the heart of the prayer. You remember a litmus test from a chemistry class, right, in high school? The little piece of paper that you dip in the solution, and depending on the color that comes back, right, it, it proves whether the solution's acidity or alkalinity. It's a checkpoint in the prayer. Jesus is saying, whenever you come and ask for forgiveness, which he assumes we're going to have to do daily and regularly, he says, I want you at that moment to check yourself, to check your heart, and the way you check your heart is you ask, am I forgiving those who have wronged me? Because that is the clearest window into your heart 
about whether or not you understand and rest in God's grace. See, if you're not, and instead you're holding on to your anger and your bitterness, that shows you're not believing the gospel. And maybe you've forgotten it. Right? For whatever reason, the salvation you have entirely by grace alone, it's not front and center in your life. Or maybe there's something in your life, a sin of some kind, maybe, right? That's gnawing at your conscience and it's keeping the gospel distant from you. Or maybe you've never actually believed the gospel. And wherever you are, you need to see that you belong to the community of sinners. You need, in other words, to come face to face with the impossible, insurmountable debt of yours that you owe the King of Kings. And from that point, you need to look at the cross because there you need to see Jesus, who closed the distance and identified with you to the degree, not only that he became a man and took on flesh, but that when he went to the cross, he who knew no sin became sin for you. You need to see Jesus on the cross, canceling your insurmountable debt paying for it himself completely, not the smallest bit left for you to pay. Our debt demanded costly payment. We could only be forgiven at the cost of Jesus' life. And you need to see Jesus on the cross letting you go free. You know, as he's dying on the cross... His last words were what? It is finished. It's done. Right? The entirety of your enormous debt has been paid and you are free. Therefore, Paul wrote, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For freedom, Paul wrote, Christ has set us free. On the cross, your sins were cast into the deepest ocean and gone forever. And that's what sets you free and empowers you to forgive others. It's when your heart has been astonished at God's grace to forgive your insurmountable debt that you find a new freedom. Right? A freedom and a joy to painful though it is to identify with those who've sinned against you, to cancel their debt, and to let them go free. Jesus invites us, come and ask for forgiveness again and again and again. My grace will never run out. But when you do, check yourself. Are you believing this good news? Resting in it? Because that's what he wants for you. That you would rest in the free grace of the gospel and that you would be changed by it, able to forgive those who've sinned against you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can gather together 
this Sunday to worship You, to sing Your praises, um, to hear this Your Word. And I confess it's, it's a hard word because it's hard to forgive. It's hard to even look at what forgiveness is because it shows how much it will really hurt to forgive. But I pray for myself and all of us that from that point we would look and see Jesus and see how hard forgiveness was. Forgiveness of us. And see the pain and see the cost that He took upon Himself in order to cancel our debt and let us go free. And Father, we pray that that good news would so astonish us that we would wonder at it so much that it would indeed change us and set us free to forgive those who have wronged us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.